We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 17, and we'll be reading from verse 11, a very famous passage of Scripture. Of course, in this verse of Scripture, Paul is complimenting the Christians in Berea for how polite they were in listening to what he had to present to them. They took notes, no doubt, asked questions, no doubt. Then, the Scripture says, they got in their Bibles to make sure that Paul was right. Ladies and gentlemen, that is exercising critical thinking skills. We have so many forms of information and so much information. We are, in fact, inundated with news these days. We have tweets and Facebook posts and 24-7 news on cable television. And we have Internet where we have access to all sorts of news services 24 hours a day. However, as we have learned much of what we are presented with is misinformation. In fact, it's quite downright dishonest. It's just spin. It's imperative that we as Christians lead the way in being critical thinkers. And of course, it begins with thinking about Jesus. Is it really true? Is the tomb really empty or isn't it? It all begins there. But the title of our message is this, Thinking is critical. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. Our scripture text this morning will be Acts chapter 17, and we'll be reading a famous verse, or at least around this church. It's one we reference quite a bit. And hopefully this morning will be a very practical message that we all need to hear, and hopefully we'll be able to draw from and learn from, and not just our church, but spread beyond this. Acts chapter 17, 11. Paul writes this, actually Dr. Luke, keeping account of their affairs as they had traveled through Europe, uh, or through Asia and into Europe. This comment was made about one particular church, and these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, these being the Berean church, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of the Word of God. The title of this message is this, Thinking is Critical. Well, of course, everything revolves around the resurrection. Without the resurrection, then we just have a philosophy that debates for control with other various man-made philosophies. But because of the resurrection, we know that Jesus is, in fact, the Lord. And we know that Jesus and His resurrected body spent about 40 days with His Uh, followers there before he went to the Mount of Olives, and they followed him. They asked if he was going to establish his kingdom at that point. He said, no, it's not for you to know the day and hour. Here's what you're to do. You're to be my witnesses, both in Judea, Jumeria, and Samaria, Judea, Judea, excuse me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost extent of the world. And lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Go and serve me. Go and make disciples. Go and stand against evil. And... uh, then will be the establishment of the kingdom. In the meantime, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there until I give you the Holy Spirit, which I had promised in John chapter 14, John chapter 15. So they did that. And of course, in less than 10 days, Pentecost fully came. And of course, it was on that day that Peter preached preached his great message, his great sermon that's recorded in Acts chapter 2. And, of course, we know that 3,000 Jews were marvelously born again, and the church was birthed literally in an instant. 
We know that over the next days and weeks, there were more added to the body of Christ. We know that there was a great healing that took place in the temple complex, and some 5,000 more were added to the body of Christ. Obviously, the spiritual leaders of the day, the Sanhedrin, had been hoping that they had gotten rid of this issue with Jesus of Nazareth when they'd had him put to death. However, it was now worse than it had ever been. And they got hostile in their resistance. And of course, we know that the first martyr recorded in the Scripture, Stephen, Acts chapter 7, and then after that, it was fair game. The Bible tells us of a man named Saul of Tarsus that just hated these followers of Jesus of Nazareth. He was passionate about them and even asked for permission to go into other jurisdictions to break into homes and synagogues and arrest followers of this new sect called the Way so that they could be tortured to recant their new faith in Jesus and even put to death if that wasn't adequate. Of course, we know that on the road to Damascus, Saul was stricken blind, at least temporarily, by a bright light shining brighter than the sun. And this was, in fact, the presence of the Lord Jesus in His, in his resurrected glory. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Lord, what would you have me to do? We know that Saul became a believer in God, and his interesting sense of humor took this, this arrogant Pharisee that traditionally, naturally, wouldn't have been fond of Gentiles, and he was sent to be the bearer of good news unto the Gentile nations. We know that Saul, now known as Paul, which was his Greek name, in his second missionary journey for the first time, took the gospel into Europe. We know about Lydia down by the riverside. We know about the Philippian jail. We know that he was there for three weeks in Thessalonica, and there was a great revival broke out there, and the church was so effective in Thessalonica that it was beginning to change their culture almost immediately. In fact, the pagans came together in riots and said, we've got to do something about these Christians. They're trying to change the world. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, that's the charge we want placed upon us today. Too often, our churches, we try to fit in with the world rather than trying to transform the world that's around us. Then he was chased out of Thessalonica, and he arrived in this community called Berea. And of course, Paul's tradition was, and understand, after the dispersion, Jews were all over the world. And Jews were unique. They were monotheistic. All other countries worshipped a, a pantheon of gods, plural and a small g. But only Israel worshipped one true God with a capital G. And then beyond that, they were moral people. Strangely, they were monogamous, and there were all sorts of things in their strict moral code that was, in fact, unique and intriguing to the pagan world. In every community where there were at least 10 Jews, Jewish men, they would establish a synagogue, and they would gather and have religious teaching for the children. Of course, they would gather and worship together, and it was in those places that the church was first planted. As the Apostle Paul was taking the truth of the Jewish Messiah to these pagan nations, but he would go first to the synagogues, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentiles. And the debate in the synagogue was using the Scriptures. By the way, what book would they have used at that point in time? They weren't using the book of John because the book of John hadn't been written yet. Paul wasn't going to Romans 3.10 to show them that they were saved uh, because Romans hadn't been written yet. The Scriptures that the, that the screen talks about was what we would call the Old Testament because for some first 20 or 25 years of Christianity, 
The only Bible that they had were what we would call the first 39 books of the Bible. And the debate was over this Jesus of Nazareth. That was the message. Paul was saying that Jesus is this promised Messiah. And he was showing them from the Scriptures how that was true. And again, the Scriptures were Paul's source of truth. That was the Old Testament. And although the response in Thessalonica was marvelous, and there was a great revival that took place there, Paul had higher praise for this group in Berea. What was that praise? Well, they listened politely as Paul spelled out and shared his argument, proving that Jesus was, in fact, the chosen one, the promised Messiah. They were polite. They took notes. Then they went home and got in the Bible to make sure that Paul was correct. Ronald Reagan would call that trust but verify. That is, in fact, what critical thinking is. Critical thinking, as this is defined here, refers to the ability to analyze information objectively and make a reasoned judgment. Now understand, there was a great debate going on at that point in time. The Sanhedrin News Network dominated the news stations. And they were saying emphatically that Jesus of Nazareth could not be the Messiah because He suffered, died, and rose again. And they were, in fact, trying to cancel Paul's message by threats, by beatings, by putting him into prison, and even wanting to have him put to death, which, of course, there was a time he had to escape over the walls of Damascus. But Paul took the Scriptures and proved, in fact, that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah because He suffered, just as Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 had said. Because He died, just like the type of Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac, and just as in Daniel we see the description of the Messiah being cut off, but not for something that He had done, and because He rose again, which the Scriptures clearly spelled out. It was for those reasons that we knew that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And what was the result? Just like today, we preach the truth, we take the Word of God, we point people to Jesus. Some believed they hung out with Paul and Silas. They were now members of that new community of believers. Most didn't believe, and those that didn't believe got downright hostile trying to cancel the message. Now, folks, we have been in a debate over truth since Genesis 3, when up to that point, all that had been stated was what God said, and then you have the serpent showing up and questioning God's Word and twisting a perverted version that was actually the word of the devil. Did God really say those things? So how do we know what's true? Well, that is where critical thinking skills come in. 2006 is when I was first moved with this idea of engaging the culture. I've been a pastor less than five years. Most of you know much about that testimony in my Literally, my come-to-Jesus moment as a pastor, recognizing that if pastors don't engage the culture, we're just going to continue to decay and rot until, well, we're where we are today and on the way past this, getting worse. 
But we had a man here by the name of Bill Federer that Charlie Meadows had made arrangements with. I'd never even heard of Bill Federer. We had him here, I think, on a Sunday night. Charlie said, he's a lot like David Barton. So I said, well, I like David Barton. Let's you know, bring him in. We'll have him here. And Bill had just written a book called Backfired. It talks about how religious tolerance in America had paved the way for Christians tolerating atheists. And now the atheists are in control and they're kicking the Christians out. Well, that's where we're at. Very moving message. And it was really that last piece of the puzzle that got me. And I knew that we needed to engage but didn't know what to do. So I went down to the D. James Kennedy Reclaiming America for Christ conference that year in Fort Lauderdale. Bill was one of the featured speakers. And because I was a new friend of Bill, Cindy and I decided to go down and check him out and check this out. And I was so moved by the whole program. And that is really what launched us to start the Reclaiming Oklahoma for Christ and everything else that we're involved in today. But one of the speakers there was a man named David Gibbs. He's a Christian. He's an attorney. And he was sharing from the stage his account of what was actually going on with Terry Schiavo. Do you all remember the Terry Schiavo case? Most of you, if you're my age or close, you remember. This was all over the news for a while. This is a woman who had become into what was thought to be a vegetative state after a botched surgery. And her husband was wanting to pull the plug on her. And and, uh, her other family members were fighting legally to try to sustain her life, saying that she could communicate. She was very much there, but she just couldn't talk and and couldn't move very well. Well... The things that I discovered that David Gibbs shared from the stage was completely different than anything I had heard in the media. And I was really taken and stunned at the time to think that the media would actually be intentionally lying to the populace, trying to spin the message, which in fact they were. And the lights clicked on where you realize how much power the media actually has. Because we all make decisions based upon what we believe to be true. Now, at this point in time on Sunday morning, here it is at 9.15 on Sunday morning. We're sitting here in this auditorium in in Edmond, Oklahoma. We don't even know what's going on in downtown Oklahoma City. We certainly don't know what's going on in Washington, D.C. We don't know what's going on in Jerusalem. We don't know what's going on in California. We have to trust someone's account given to us as to what's going on or we won't have any idea. And just like filling up a bathtub, the media has the ability to control the level of the news and also control your temperature in response to a particular subject based upon what they report and how they report it. And unfortunately, since the 1960s, the media has overwhelmingly and increasingly become more liberal, more anti-American, and more anti-Christian in their bias. Remember last summer, this famous report from CNN. The reporter had the audacity on stage, on screen there, to be talking about these were mostly peaceful protests. Humorously, in the background, the city is all on fire made me think of the old Police Squad series where Frank Drebin was out there saying, move along, there's nothing to see here. But understand the importance of this and how dangerous it is. The media's job is to report to us the facts. That's what news is. News is supposed to be, here are the facts. You draw your own conclusions. Here are the facts. Now, the editorial page is where members of the media can offer their opinions and try to sway you one way or the other. But they are separate and they are supposed to be distinct. Unfortunately, today in the news, all you get is opinions. 
It's 95% opinion with just a few nuggets of fact. Of course, you remember last summer when this respected group of doctors met in D.C. Their purpose for meeting was to talk amongst themselves. They were all literally frontline doctors handling these emergencies, this new virus that they were having to deal with. They were sharing their experiences of what effectively treated this virus as their Hippocratic Oath. They were to do no harm. They were to try to help all of their patients. Well, after they had their seven-hour meeting, they came out and did a short press conference in front of the Supreme Court of the United States. And they testified that hydroxychloroquine was one of the most effective means of treating this. If you take it early, if you treat it early, I'm virtually assured of wiping it out. Well, immediately, the media coordinated and attacked them trying to discredit them because President Trump happened to say that hydroxychloroquine was an effective way of treating the virus. And immediately, all of their material was being taken down from the media. You know, it's amazing that these were all highly respected doctors. As a matter of fact, one of their face women for the organization is uh, Simone Gold. She has two degrees. She has a degree from Stanford in law. She has a degree from Chicago in medicine. And she has been practicing medicine for over 30 years, highly respected as all these doctors were. They were simply trying to state that hydroxychloroquine will treat this new virus, use hydroxychloroquine. That's our experience as doctors. We want to save lives. We want to share that with the populace. Do you know that that made her a terrorist? Simone Gold was actually placed for a period of time on the U.S. government's federal no-fly list. What crime did she commit? Well, she had the audacity to tell the truth and tell it directly to the people and circumvent the, the, the news media. Now, since then, we have all learned that hydroxychloroquine is, in fact, a very effective treatment and to use it early. And the fact is, they knew this all the way back in 2005. You look at these two screenshots on the right, going back to the SARS-1 virus, Dr. Fauci himself knew that derivatives of chloroquine were potent inhibitors of SARS coronavirus infection and spread. Yet when all of a sudden SARS-2 was out here, they said that that was not true. Even to the point where a very respected uh, medical journal, The Lancet, did a hit piece on hydroxychloroquine. And it was proven to be fabricated. And The Lancet had to retract their story. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan and I have been dealing with critical race theory. We've been dealing with COVID-19. We've been dealing with slavery, Marxism. We've been dealing with all that stuff. And even our sermons, you're listening to one right now. You see how dangerous these are. Even our sermons are taken down from the website because they're dangerous for the public to hear. Why? Because we're telling the truth. Well, it's a good thing we've got fact checkers to watch our back, right? Well, not so much. As our friend Matt Staber from Liberty Council determined and shared in this post, out of 20 Facebook so-called fact-checkers, 18 of them have known public ties to George Soros. Ladies and gentlemen, it's like the fox watching the hen house. It's the own, their own group trying to monitor themselves. It was like the Iran deal that Obama had, had, had negotiated with, with uh, uh, the country of Iran. Now, 
Notice that, well, let's get into this point. Critical thinking skills, Acts 17, 11. Here is how you can literally pan out and find truth even with a manipulative news media as we have today. As you read through articles and listen to reports, differentiate between bias and or opinions as opposed, as opposed to clear statements of fact. Literally, like an old prospector in California, you're going to be panning for nuggets of gold. You're going to be panning for nuggets of truth. Recognize buzzwords. Words like could, might, maybe, possibly. That's a big warning sign telling you that what you're about to read is nothing more than an opinion or a theory. Beware of smoke screens. The article may start out talking about COVID-19 and then after about two paragraphs you're reading about Russia collusion. That is an intentional redirection of your attention. You think they're going one place, but they're intentionally trying to mislead you down another path. And always remember, opinions are opinions and facts are facts. You must draw your conclusion based upon the facts. And as the Scripture says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a truth be established. So, let's do some examples here. This article was this last year in the uh, Oklahoma newspaper. Headline says this, private school grants could benefit wealthier students. So, obviously, school choice is awful. It's another benefit for the rich. But what do you see in that headline? Could. And when you actually look at the story, you'll see that Kevin Stitt's law, or the law that he signed, would, big difference, support low-income families wanting to put their kids in private schools. And if there was enough money left over, if all the funds weren't exhausted, then the parameters could be expanded and actually someone making about 100000 a year could draw benefits from the same. So the headline is totally misleading once you read the article. This isn't some benefit for rich people at all. It's designed to help those that can't afford private school. And if there are any funds left over, then it spills over to the next level of people. By the way, notice how they try this, this uh, Marxist uh, class warfare. Everything's about who's got more money than you. You, know, you want to know what the definition of people having too much is? Somebody that makes more than you do. You know what some is the, the definition of ostentatious is? Somebody's got a nicer car than yours or a bigger home than yours. That's how man typically defines it. Okay, let's look at another example. Kendra Horn used to be our 5th district representative. This headline in the paper, Horn may get U.S. business groups backing. Oh my goodness, Kendra must be doing a good job because business groups are actually considering backing Kendra Horn. Well, what do we notice there? May. What is that? That's a buzzword. Draws our attention. In fact, look at the subtitle here. State Chamber President says freshman Democrat hasn't proven to be have pro-business positions. So that actually contradicts the, the subject uh, or the, uh, the title itself. And then as you read in the article, you find out that the Chamber of Oklahoma pushed back uh, against a possible endorsement for Kendra Horn, saying it wouldn't be justified based upon her current record of consequential votes impacting Oklahoma business. So the title leads you to believe that Kendra Horn is doing a good job for business. 
But then you get into the meat of the story and you find out that that's not, it's not saying that at all. It tells you the truth once you get in there. But see, the buzzword may should be a warning sign uh, waking you up. All right, here's another example. State limits hate crimes are uh, uh, up here. Notice this subplot here. It says, beating of gay man doesn't fall under Oklahoma's prohibitions. My goodness, these bunch of rednecks in Oklahoma... After church, after lunch, we just get on our Harleys and roam the streets looking for homosexuals to beat up. And there's no law against that. Not true. Folks, the way the law states, if you assault someone, you pay the penalty. If you murder someone, you pay the penalty. Doesn't matter whether you like them or dislike them. Doesn't matter what your mind was thinking. What matters is the action that your body actually did. And everybody has equal rights under the law. But the effort here by the members of the media is to try to convince you that an innocent homosexual man was beaten up because he was homosexual. The current laws don't protect him. Therefore, we need to pass hate crimes legislation in the state of Oklahoma. But if you get into the article here or what you actually find, it was 2 a.m. in a parking lot after a night at the bars. You know right there that this isn't going to end well. Two men in a luxury car honked at a parked pickup truck in an apartment in a parking lot. A verbal dispute followed. The driver of the luxury car allegedly, so in other words, the people in the pickup truck said this is what happened, it hadn't been proven, but allegedly pushes the girlfriend of one of the men in the pickup truck, bloodying her nose. The driver of the luxury car gets his tail whipped by the girl's boyfriend. Is that a hate crime? No. And it's what you would expect. Two, two groups of people been out drinking all night. They're back in a parking lot after they're under the influence of alcohol. One guy in a pickup truck is sitting there. Another guy in a luxury car honks his horn at him. Obviously, they get out, start going uh, nose to nose. The girlfriend comes up, tries to intervene. She gets shoved. Her nose is bloody. Guy in the pickup truck is mad because you just bloodied my girlfriend's nose. A fight breaks out. He wins. Has nothing to do. As a matter of fact, the, me, the uh, members of the law enforcement, as they investigated it, came to that same conclusion. If you get down in there, he said, right now, this officer says, it appears the conflict was because of a truck not moving out of the way of his vehicle. These people did not know each other. There's no indication they jumped out of their vehicle because of his sexual orientation. So when you read the title, as you're going through the newspaper and all you have time to do is scan the titles, you are led to believe one thing. That is intentional deception. That is not an honorable media. Now, look at this. This was most recent uh, in uh, a screenshot from my, uh, my phone. Claremont, 13-year-old, dies after experiencing COVID-19 symptoms. Well, there it is, folks. Another example. The COVID virus has taken another life. This time, only a 13-year-old boy. However, when you read the article, you find out that his symptoms were negative when they tested him for COVID, yet they had the audacity to make that the headline of their article. It's all about COVID killing, but when you read the story, it really isn't at all. You see what I'm talking about? Panning for gold, looking for buzzwords that alert you that what you're about to read is an opinion, not a fact. 
you find the facts, you put the facts together, and then you've got something that's valuable. Of course, when we were doing our conference in Grapevine, Texas in September of last year, I remember this was major news. It was being talked about all, I think it was Monday, our first full day of of meetings, that the CDC, their own documentation showed that of all the reported, now notice the reported were deaths with COVID, not deaths from COVID. So in other words, if you were out hiking and you fell off a cliff 100 feet and got smashed like a bug on a windshield, if they happened to do a blood test and you were positive with COVID, then you were recorded as a death with COVID. Well, they discovered that only 6% of all of those reported deaths were actually purely from COVID without some other serious medical condition. Now, immediately the media came out and says, why it's misleading. Now, notice they don't say it's inaccurate. They don't say that 6% number is a lie. Notice the use of words. Words have power. They're selected on purpose. It's misleading. Well, why is it misleading? Because it's going to lead you to a conclusion we don't want you to get to that only 6% of COVID deaths are caused by the virus. Folks, let me share two examples. As I said the other night, I've I've done less funerals this year than I do in a normal year, and our church is is double in size, um, and done less funerals. Uh, Here's two examples of of a couple of funerals I did. One of our dear members of our church, long time, long time church family, gone all the way back to when my dad was here uh, years and years ago, 30 years ago. Um, he fell in a parking lot, broke his hip. He was about 90 years of age. Fell and broke his hip. Had surgery, talked to him, seemed to be okay. A couple of days later, had other complications and dying. Did he die from a broken hip? No, he actually died because he's 90 years old. His body was worn out. That broken hip just happened to be the last straw. We don't die from broken hips. If any of us, uh, if I've got my hip broken today, I'm very, very small chance that I'm going to die from it. I've had my knee replacement. Dave, my brother's getting ready to go in and have a hip replaced. Broken hips don't kill people, but when you're 90 and you break your hip, it does. We had another gentleman in here who was 87 years old. Wonderful old soul winner. Great faithful man. He had had severe Parkinson's. He'd had several strokes. He couldn't talk anymore. He was in a wheelchair. And he and his wife both got coronavirus. Both got COVID virus. His wife bounced back beautifully. Didn't have any problems. But the man did not. He died. Now, they attempted to say that he died because of coronavirus. His wife put her foot down and said, no, he did not. He was 87. He had a stroke. He had all sorts of other maladies. The coronavirus was just the last straw, just like the broken hip was the last straw for the first example that I, that I told you about a moment ago. So, Notice they say it's misleading. In all of these reports, as you do Google search, they don't define it as wrong, but they say it's misleading, it's misleading, it's misleading, it's misleading. We just want to discredit the report and plan in your mind that you can't trust this particular report. By the way, it's common knowledge. Uh, Things like the flu kill people every year. 2017, the World Health Organization reported 650,000 people died from flu-like symptoms. Again, 
Most of us have had the flu. Many of us have it every two or three years. Have a fever, feel bad for a couple of days, you usually bounce back. There are some, about 650,000 uh, patients a year, who have other factors, and that flu is the last thing that winds up taking them over the edge. Now, this is Senator Dick Durbin. Listen to this uh, report. This is just from this last week on Fox News. Time. It can only be characterized as anti-vax quacks. I'm referring, of course, to Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingraham. They have been spreading what I consider to be irresponsible information about vaccines across America and about the effort of this nation to deal with them. Spreading irresponsible information. Now, notice what he didn't say. Durbin did not accuse us of spreading false information. He did not accuse us of being factually wrong. We haven't been, nor are we against Words matter, ladies and gentlemen. Dick Durbin is there trying to make you believe that Tucker Carlson is lying. But he can't say that Tucker Carlson is lying because he's not. So he gets on the stage and accuses him of spreading irresponsible information. Well, who, who, who defines what irresponsible information is? Well, Dick Durbin did. And Dick Durbin defined it because he didn't like what, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that, that um, good, what's his name? Thank you. Whatever. Tucker Carlson was telling this story on the media. So again, words matter. Listen to the words that they use. This is critical thinking skills. The Bereans were complimented because they uh, patiently, kindly, politely listened to everything Paul had to say, took notes, asked questions, and then they went home, got in their Bibles to corroborate and make sure that what Paul was saying was actually the truth. That is critical thinking. Thinking critically. Thinking is critical to do. Now, in America, remember, we have a presumption of innocence. Not anymore. Now, if the media comes out and accuses you of some crime, they run it so much that you are guilty long before your trial. Not in America. We are innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt and we, are, and we have a right to a jury of our peers to determine that according to the law. And it applies to everyone. So remember these things about critical thinking. Search for facts, not opinions. Listen for buzzwords. And you must just judgment, must make just judgment based upon the actual evidence, not emotions, feelings, and unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated statements or opinions. So a couple of things I want to cover. so important as we wrap up here. What about masks? What are some of the evidence that we see? What are the facts about masks? Well, first of all, understand what PPE is. Personal protective equipment. It was common knowledge up until the last 12 months that the doctor wore personal protective equipment to protect himself from any juices you might share to him. Whether it be a sneeze or a cough or blood, it was to keep the fluids off of you. It was not to pray. He didn't put the mask on to protect you from him. He put the mask on to protect him from you. Hence, personal protective equipment. Early on in this, the U.S. Surgeon General had the audacity to be honest. And they said that masks are not effective in preventing general public from catching coronavirus. As a matter of fact, the World Health Organization, the CDC, and the Surgeon General all said that people shouldn't wear face masks to prevent the spread of the infectious disease. Even His Highness the Royal Messiah, uh, Fauci, in an interview on March the 8th on 60 Minutes, said that wearing a mask 
is little more than making you feel better about yourself. It doesn't actually help. It may stop a, a droplet here or there. Uh, in fact, it could be worse because people keep fiddling with their faces over the course of the day. So Fauci goes from this honest observation to this literally within a week. What changed? Did the science change? No, the science didn't change, but politics did. And understand, the National Institute of Health all said that masks don't stop viruses. OSHA says that masks don't stop viruses. Mayo Clinic says that masks don't stop viruses. However, now notice the terminology, they may provide some protection when his, if he's wearing an N95 mask uh, properly. So, Masks don't stop virus. Now, it may help some if you're wearing a particular type of mask properly. By the way, even on the side of the boxes, they say very clearly, this product is not a respirator and will not provide any protection uh, against COVID um, um, or, or any airborne contaminants like that. And then you know it's true because all of the political leaders are caught frequently not wearing masks. Now, if this was really that dangerous, this was really that critical, wouldn't these people that obviously are in love with themselves be wearing a mask 24-7 rather than just when the cameras are on? Now, let's talk about testing real quickly. The state health department said uh, back in uh, late summer, in fact, we talked about it in church one morning. They said, expect cases to rise because we're going to change the way we evaluate a positive case. I mean, they literally did a report. There it is. Before they started counting the numbers. So we knew that the case count was going to skyrocket because they were changing how they were doing the measurement. Lo and behold, it did. And everybody in the media panicked about it. Oh, we've got these increasing positive rates. They told us it was going to happen because they were changing what a definition of a positive was. By the way, also factor in how many tests they're taking. This is from the state of Texas. On an average year, they would do about 160,000 uh, flu tests. How many times have you gone to get a flu test? I think I've only gone to flu, flu test two or three times. Last time I went to see if I had a flu, I wound up with cancer, so don't go check it out. <laughs> but usually, you know you've got the flu, so you get under the covers, you take some aspirin, you sweat it out, and a couple of days later, you're better. But on a typical year in the state of Texas, about 160,000 tests. Well, just through the first seven months of 2020, they had done 16 times that many tests. Do you think they're going to have more positive reports? Yes, just because of the sheer number of tests. And then also look down here, the recovery rate. Your recovery from COVID-19 is actually higher than from the flu. And the death rate for the flu is actually higher than COVID-19, at least to the date of this report in the state of Texas. Now... You also can get a false positive. Recognize there was some case, something came out yesterday I saw released, that these tests have been unreliable and overwhelmingly coming back positive when they aren't. Well, they admit that there's a number of factors that can contribute to having uh, er errors in your outcomes. But we don't have anything to worry about. I'm sure it's going to get better because now George Soros and Bill Gates have bought the test-making companies. Well, there's two guys we certainly can trust. All right, what about the vaccine? Well, look at these statistics. And again, I'm not telling you one way or the other. It's up to you. It's your body. 
You are responsible with self-government. However, recognize what the real numbers are. First of all, it's not a vaccine at all. It's not a vaccine. It's the first time this has been used in humans. It's an experimental DNA, genetic, whatever. Great. If you want to be the first one to sign up for that, feel free. I want to wait long enough to see if you grow a third leg or not before I decide whether I'm going to do it. Now, in the U.S. military, all branches, 202,567 active duty service members have been diagnosed with COVID. Of that, 26 have died. That is a 99.987 survival rate. Why are we panicking? Why are we going door to door demanding vaccines and vaccine passports? The statistics just don't justify it. That is thinking critically. As a matter of fact, we know that 95% of all deaths are from those 70 years of age and older. Yet for some reason, they are going to the, even to the point of trying to bribe you. Mayor de Blasio, hey, get your vaccine and we'll give you a free hamburger and fries. Are you kidding me? Have you ever seen such nonsense? My question is, what? for any other illness ever in history, they've never gone to this extent. We've got this one with a 99.98 survival rate. Why are they so adamant about forcing everyone in America to take this? Think. Now, here's the last bit of information. Read this this last week in the New American Magazine. Average year, this is the reporting service where people report adverse reactions from vaccines. Now, most of the time, people don't bother to report them. They just deal with them. As a matter of fact, every source before COVID year, because before COVID, I think the information was fairly trustworthy, but before, they said between 1% and 10% of the actual cases are actually reported. In other words, most of the time, they don't get reported. But deaths from vaccine, vaccine-related deaths, 2018-22, 2019-27, 2020-21, 2021. Now this number, David, where are you? David, what was the, where's David? Is he in here this morning? Maybe the second service. He said on Wednesday night that this number has now jumped past 12,000. And it's climbing in the thousands every week. So on an average year, we'd have 26 or 27 deaths. So far this year, and we're only in July, we have over 12,000. What's changed? Well, we're mandating these vaccines. Does that mean that they're deadly? No, not at all. What does it mean, Pastor? It means that in a normal year, we have 26 or 27 deaths. This year, we have over 12,000. The only thing that's changed is they're mandating the vaccines. Hmm. I might want to stop and think about this a little bit before I just run willy-nilly down to the drive through vaccination shop. You know, it's wonderful in Oklahoma now. You can now do drive through pot and drive through vaccines. But we have the audacity to demand you show your ID to go vote. Imagine us. All right. Now, in Mumbai, India, a study was done with 10,000 officers. 4,600 officers were given hydroxychloroquine each week. Out of that 4,600, zero deaths. Sounds to me like that might be a good solution. Sounds to me like the uh, vaccine might not be necessary. But we don't want to consider that. Now, think about this as well. Remember at the height of this, and we're all sitting here trying to evaluate, we're trying to get information to figure it out. Remember all the, oh, we're putting in Army Surgical Hospitals, we're doing all this response from Seattle, Army Field Hospital, 
hospital for COVID, leaves after nine days. Never saw a patient. Wow, I thought our emergency rooms were overflowing. You remember all the drama with the U.S. Mercy sailing into New York Harbor? This incredible hospital ship, a thousand beds, 600 doctors. Pandemic was so bad, we needed extra beds. Over a month, they treated a total of 182 patients in over a month. Of course, the mercy sailed on, wasn't needed. As a matter of fact, the president sent the, com oh, it's the comfort, sent the comfort to his home state last month. It was the comfort, not mercy, I'm sorry. It showed because they were saying the, uh, the uh, uh, predictions were they were going to need 110,000 beds by the end of April. Actually, they only missed that by about 600%. They actually only needed 18,000 beds by the end of April, uh, so it, the ship wasn't needed. Samaritan's Purse, you remember all the stir when they set up downtown uh, New York. Well, my goodness, there's a crisis. We've got to have, we've got a pandemic. We're expecting, we're predicting all these deaths. Well, Samaritan's Purse leaving New York City after caring for a total of 315 patients. And here's a final statement about these predictions. Lance Fry, the head of the Oklahoma Health Commission, says, we get lots of modeling, and so far the only thing that's consistent is that it's all been wrong. Now, let me just throw this out as my last thing to consider in our sermon on critical thinking skills. I find it interesting that the billionaire George, no, I'm sorry, Bill Gates, has on record for being a sustainable earth guy and believes that the world's population should be under one billion people. Right now it's about, it's uh, over eight billion people. So we got seven billion too many. I find it interesting that this is the same man that's passionate about vaccines and getting vaccines into third world countries and all over the world. Now, I can understand a billionaire being passionate about vaccines to extend people's life. And I can understand a billionaire being passionate about uh, thinking that we need a sustainable earth and we've got too much in the population. But I can't understand is that being the same man that thinks we've got 7 billion people too many and at the same time wants to be in charge of vaccines that's saving people's lives or extending people's lives. Fortunately, fact check did say that, uh, did Bill Gates tell uh, George Magazine that an overpopulated planet would fall to a lung-attacking virus? <laughs> wow, he actually made that prediction way back in, uh, heavens, over 20, 20 years ago. What a coincidence. Oh, but he was defended. Now look at this. Notice they put red up there. Immediately you think red. Oh, that's not true. But you must read. Remember critical thinking skills. He said, uh, it said this. Bill Gates was featured in 1997 issue of George Magazine. But so were other people. So did that say he didn't say it? No, he said he wasn't the only one that was saying it. Folks, here's where it all ends right here. We know that if the Lord tarries, the Lord tarries. Shofar could sound, we had the shofar call to service this morning. The shofar sounded, we could be home with the Lord tonight. But if the Lord tarries, each and every one of us is going to one day step through death's doorway. Ultimately, all that matters, the most important things, is will you step through death's doorway with Jesus or without Jesus? And that was the message Paul was preaching. Jesus is the Messiah. Trust in Him. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. Trust in Him. Has there been a day and time where you have personally put your trust in Jesus? Man, there was a day where all of us asked our wife to marry us. There was a day when all of us said, I do. 
You may think about Jesus, you may read the Bible, you may be a member of church, but has there been a point in time where you have said, Jesus, I do? You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org, or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.